Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. You're about to jump into one of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about this podcast and also all of the great content, drills, activities, games and advice on the website, then go over to www.rugbycoachweekly.net. I hope you enjoy the podcast. We all think we can see causes and we can't. We're, we can only ever see effects. We can see the results of things, but we never get to see causal relationships, but we think we can. Right. And so we've got to try and resist the temptation to, to say, I know why that just happened. Rugby Coach Weekly presents The Coaching Knife, where we cut to the root, cut out the fluff, and challenge the masters of their domain to cut to the chase. Welcome to The Coaching Knife, where we cut to the root of the matter. In this episode, we speak to David Didal, best-selling education author, speaker, and blogger. Focusing on balancing trust and accountability, we're going to cut to the root on how you can empower your team of coaches or teachers and or your players. David, are you ready for the knife? Yes, I'm ready. What do we mean by accountability? Well, accountability is... In its most basic, checking that people have done the things that you expect them to do, that they've said they'll do. And, and, and so to... just so when we're checking, I'm just, which is good, is that not making the person feel a bit nervous? Well, maybe, but one of the real findings in the psychology of accountability is that if you want people to be their best, then human nature tells us that uh, if nobody's looking, uh, it's very difficult for people to be their best. So we need to know that we're, ac- we're accountable to an audience in order to really raise our game and to the, do the best that we're capable to. So it might make us... Sorry, 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 can I just go back? So that doesn't sort of make sense. I, I would think, well, it makes some sense, but I would think that if someone's looking over me, I mean, we've been observed in classrooms uh, over the years, and you don't feel like you're going to be at your best if someone's looking over you. You feel you might have to be conforming right. to what they say. So the idea of intelligent accountability is that mm. there's only a highly specialised uh, a few subsets of, of what we might think of as accountability that actually right. uh, get people to thrive. So which are? Well, OK, so there's three things uh, that research and, and observation has boiled down to, and they are, one, it's really important to know how you're going to be held to account before you actually are. So springing surprises on people, not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, we need to uh, trust that the, pe- the people holding us to account are interested in the truth and are expert enough to recognise that we're what, what's going on. And then thirdly, and this is the most controversial, it's important that the person who's holding us to account doesn't tell us what they want. They have to conceal what they think good looks like. All right. Okay. So I need you to unpack that last one. I yeah. think I understand some of it, but you might have to illustrate with some examples. So it's really, really tempting for people to go, right, this is what I want, do this. And uh, and the very best you'll get if you do that is compliance. Now, you you might be in a situation where compliance, you take compliance, you've got chaos and compliance mm-hmm. sounds great, and that's fine. But you need to know that if compliance is the best, you'll also get quite a few people who pretend to do what you've asked them to do. And when you're not looking, uh, revert to type. And you'll also get people who will just argue with you and go, no, that that's not right. I don't want to do that. 
So if you conceal your preferences, you what you do is you acknowledge the the other people might have better ideas than you do. They might know more than and that you allow them the possibility to exceed your expectations. So where do where so so I, I probably missed the point out in here. So where does the the say let's we'll, we'll take the teacher uh, for ease here. So where does the teacher know where to start in this? Because they've got someone coming in and they think that person's concealing uh, what they want. So how do I know if I'm going to be I, I'm going to be very nervous with right, you so, in the so room? If you're if anyone's feeling nervous, the culture is toxic and whatever you're doing isn't going to work. Right. Okay. So that's the first thing to say. So, so what's gone wrong there is the person you're holding to account doesn't trust you. They don't believe, and trust requires mutual. It's got to be mutual. So I've got to extend trust to the people that I'm holding to account, and and and. So they, how does that trust? How does that trust work in your experience? How does trust work? Yes, in this, in uh, in our in our sort of a coach, uh, teacher, leader right. uh, dynamic. What sort of things make that work? So what we've got to, I think, what we've got to start with is to believe the the people you're working with are well-intentioned. And that might not always be true, but it's a really useful, strong starting position. And so if we have that belief and they're not doing what we want them to do, we're much more likely to say this is the result of a systemic problem, uh, that they want to do the right thing. And if I if I resolve the systemic issues, they're much more likely to do that. And and that that will that will lead to me being not sort of right, right, okay, whose fault is it? I've got to assign blame and you're the unlucky recipient of that blame, which is what happens with unintelligent accountability all the time. So for trust to work, it's a it's a it's a bet, it's a gamble. So we've got to weigh up what are the consequences of trusting somebody with against distrusting them so the consequence of trust is that you might let me down and the consequence of distrust is like the the the, the almost the guarantee of toxicity so i would argue that the the risks of trusting are far less than the risks of distrusting but within that it's also important to extend for people to earn the autonomy that you give them so it's really reasonable to say to people you've not earned quite enough autonomy yet for me to fully extend the trust to you that I am extending to others okay so we let's just go back on that so I can see that uh, if you if the person you understands well intentioned yeah that, that's the start now they may be well intentioned but they're doing completely the wrong things they they've uh they've they've they're using the wrong techniques uh in the in the classroom with the with the kids or whatever situation and now you're coming in and saying this, you're saying in some way this is wrong. Right. Uh, well, what I'm not I'm not going to prejudge yet. But so first of all, what I'm if I'm trusting somebody, uh, they've already earned some autonomy. So so I've, I should have some reason, some evidence for thinking that they're sufficiently uh, competent to be trusted. So if I have a if so if I if I'm holding them to account, first of all, if I'm doing it intelligently, I'll be holding them to account for what they have said they are going to do. So we'll have negotiated. What are you going to do? Right. OK, so I'm going to come and check that you're doing the things. So I'm thinking practically here then. So yeah. I'm 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 a leader. I'm working with um, or a coach. I'm working with the players. I have to set this out before I can even hold them to account. We have to have a discussion about this. 
Well, if we don't, then you're likely to be failing on the first the first principle of intelligence accountability, which is that the people you're holding to account have to know how you're going to hold them to account. Okay, what, so we're gonna, we've got to have you know, some, as you say, some negotiation on what what we understand is right yeah. the right way to right way to do things. The negotiation would depend on if you're brand new to the organisation. I know nothing about you. You're a relative novice. I'd be a fool. Just to assume that you that you were completely competent in the ways of working within the organisation, that no matter how no matter how competent you might end up, at the moment you don't know what you're doing, and so I need to be a little bit more prescriptive. But if you've got a track record of being competent, then it makes sense for me to go look what you're doing. What let's let's work out what what your particular kind of aims are in the in the in the period of accountability that we're discussing. Right, that sounds sensible. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to. This this is how I will I will check and support that you've done the things that you've said you're going to do. I know we're going to be talking probably more about classroom settings, but I'm sure that it will go across lots of different settings. How are you physically doing this checking? What are you doing to make sure that they are being held to account? Well, that that completely depends on on what it is that you're holding them to account for. So within a within a school, uh, the 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 main ways in which the what teachers are doing is quality assured, to use the jargon, is by one watching them teach, uh, two by talking to their students, and three by looking at the work that students produce and the outcomes that students. Uh, 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 produce as a result of of teaching. So those are the those are the mechanisms which we tend to use uh, for accounting. So when you're watching a, when you're watching a, a teacher teach, yep. what sort of things uh, might you be looking for? And I know yeah. the, the, the 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 wrong expression is best practice, but yeah. what are you looking for? Well, if I'm so there, that's a really good question because if I'm looking for anything, I've got it wrong straight right, away. Okay. I should be looking at what's happening, generating some questions. And then having a discussion as a result of that observation to say, it looks like this was happening. Can you explain a little bit about that? You know, right. why were you doing this? Why were you doing that? But if I'm looking for something, I'm already prejudging. I'm already going in with an agenda, which you can either comply with or fail to. So if I, I can, and in that, I can either in a, in a, in a sort of artificial way, do a haha thing where I, I didn't tell you what I wanted and you didn't. Mm-hmm you didn't live up to it or I did tell you and you complied or you, you weren't able to. So, so looking at, as opposed to looking, yeah. So yeah. looking at, as opposed to looking for, yeah. does that mean Actually, I come in with a blank, blank piece of paper? Ideally. Yeah. One of the things I often get asked is what, what's the ideal observation pro forma. Mm. And I always, my suggestion is always, and it meets sometimes with a little bit of dismay, but yeah, a blank piece of paper is your best bet. Right. Uh, uh, but in the, in the back of your mind, you must have some sort of things, uh, not not necessarily a checklist, but there are things that you are uh, you're thinking, I need to watch them doing this to help me understand whether they're doing that. Uh, I try not to as far as right, possible. Okay. It's really difficult to rid yourself of all of those prejudices and preferences and biases. Uh, but as far as is possible, I do try to just look at what's happening. And then think about, I wonder why that, you know, like I'm, 
what I think is happening is this. We all think we can see causes and we can't. We, we can only ever see effects. We can see the results of things, but we never get to see causal relationships, but we think we can. Right. And so we've got to try and resist the temptation to, to say, I know why that just happened. Right. So uh, we're, we're in the classroom. We're looking at the teacher. Right. And they are doing things. And as we're looking at them, I'm thinking now, I'm sitting there with a blank piece of paper mm. and I am looking at the causes rather than the effects. So no, other way around. Uh, sorry, sorry, I'm looking at, sorry, yeah, sorry. I'm looking at the effects, not the causes. So I'm looking at the actions of the teacher. And, and those of the students. And those of the students. And so often when you talk to students, are, are they very good uh, at really giving the right sort of information or what can you give me some ways that we can extract well, something yeah, yeah. from them which so, can help again if you're the, the right sort of information implies that you've gone in with the wrong mindset so, <laughs> okay. so so if you're expecting them to say a particular set of things then you've got an agenda which means to my view would mean that you're not a trustworthy audience okay so, so what, what questions what questions are you going to ask without leading well i might ask them a teacher's just said something and i go do you understand what you just said what, what did he, what, what, what can you make sense? Or I might say, there's some, there's some information there on a handout that you've been given. Can you explain it to me? Right. And if they say no, then, then I, that might prompt uh, me to reflect on my observation. Such and such a student didn't appear to understand why. Does the teacher know this? Do they have a plan? Right. And then, uh, so then we have a discussion. I asked so-and-so and he didn't seem to know what he was doing. Did you that? And if they say, oh, blimey, no, I had no idea, then they would be right. OK, so let's have a think about that. But if they go, yes, I did. And here's how we've been working on that. And these are the things that I have in place. And here's how I'm looping back later to check that sort of thing. Then I would have a very different conversation as a result, which is why it's so important not to sort of make assumptions. Now, I would think that some teachers would play the game and uh, they would know that that's what you'd want to hear. So if every single student said, you asked 26, they didn't understand. Ah, oh, actually, David, that, that's that's fine. I'm, I'm pleased that they've said, they've said that because this is part of this. I mean, obviously, we need to read the situation. Yeah. Uh, again, I'll, without sort of trying to look at the right sorts of questions, I'll, I'll, how we this, try to dig a bit deeper. Is the, the other point, the other important part of trustworthiness is that you're sufficiently expert so if i wasn't sufficiently expert not to spot when i was being blagged then uh, <laughs> that would be a real problem so if i didn't really know what was going on myself and i said did you and they were like yeah yeah so that would they'd be able to play me as you say but if they recognize one that i'm interested in truth and accuracy and two that i'm knowledgeable enough to to know what i'm talking about then we should we should break down some of that and also if they know that i'm not looking to blame them i'm looking to remove systemic obstacles mm. you know, all of these all of these things cohere and make the process more intelligent now with with maybe less experienced teachers they are going to be uh, struggling or making mistakes how yes. do you sort of start the conversation which gives them a supportive feeling that you're you're helping them without because inevitably you're going to be saying things which are going to be potentially critical of what they're doing they need to change and not everybody well most people don't don't respond initially brilliantly to that well, it, you say most people. I think the the, the when we recognise that we're a novice, uh, we're much more likely, I think, to respond 
openly to mm. people suggesting ways of improvement. So yeah, in, in, recently, um, with one of my daughters, I, I started attending karate classes, which I was, it's the first time as an adult I deliberately done committed to something that I was incompetent at. And and because I was, I knew that I was really bad, I was really open to constructive feedback and criticism in a way which, as an education professional, I'm, I'm a bit more proud and, and these mm. sorts of things. And you've got that to break down. So so that I found that a really exhilarating experience, just sort of knowing I need all the help I can get. Tell me how to how to do this, that, and the other, and I will just lap it up. So it's great. Oh, okay, so okay, so I can see we've we help the novice. The novice understands where they are. So there's going to be the the one that the teacher's been there seven, eight years, they've got their routines. Yep. Uh that's going to be more difficult. Yeah, so that's why it's important to base accountability not on one source of information. So I let, let's say I've looked at somebody in the classroom and I've thought to myself, oh, I'm not really very keen on what's going on there. I don't like it. But I look that's that then I look at the work the students produce and it's outstanding. I look at the I listen to their students and it's really impressive. I look at the outcomes from 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 national exams and it's it's off the charts. Who cares what I think? I've just got to wind my neck in in that situation and go, I might not like it, but it's very, very effective. Right. OK, so uh, from we, we obviously have to be intelligent in terms of how we we approach each each teacher. And what happens if they are going wrong and how do we then hold them to account? Right. So broadly, I'd, I'd group teachers into four broad uh, areas. So on the... The if you if you have two indices, one about efforts and one about expertise. Mm-hmm. So you'll have teachers who are working really, really hard and they're really, really expert. Those are people that you should just let run with it mm-hmm. uh, and check in with them. Is are there any problems? What's getting in the way? And and just look and just and that sort of thing. And then you'll have people who are really, really working super hard, they're just not competent yet. So they need a lot of direction, a lot of support. You've got people who are really expert, but maybe there's a perception that they're not working in the way that you'd like them to work. And they're a really interesting group, which we can talk about in a moment. And then you've got your your people who aren't working very hard and they're not, they're not very good. And they need to be given a, a really clear con- constraints and, and guidelines and structures and ultimate and 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 deadlines and all the rest of it. So it's it would be unfair to to treat all of the people in those different broad categories in the same way. So one of the the principles that I discuss in the book, Intelligent Accountability, is that equality is unfair. You have to treat people differently in order to be fair. So that group that I mentioned who are expert, they're they're competent, they they get good outcomes, but maybe they don't work as as hard as we want. I find the most successful way, and obviously this is a generalisation of dealing with people in that category, is to watch what they're really good at and then shine a light on that and say, oh, Dan Cottrell's amazing at this. You really want to go and have a look at him doing that. You've never seen anybody explain how to do this, that or the other as expertly as Dan can do. And that's a really useful way of of building rapport. And then we now get to the bit where, Dan, you're superb at that. What about this bit? How are you finding that? And there's a better way. There's more of a... There's more of a way in there. The other yeah. thing that I think is is really important 
for me to establish my trustworthiness when working with, particularly with teachers, because uh, that's my field, is I have to model. So I have, to, and it, modeling makes me vulnerable. So I'll go in and I'll, I'll say, we've talked about this. Uh, ha- let me have a go. I'll, I'll see if I can get, get it to work with your class. And uh, if I can't, then we can have a chat about that. And if I can, we can talk about that as well and what, what, we, what we reckon as a result of me doing that. And that's that's hugely important part of the process. I mean, you've uh, you've dropped a few things which we could carry on talking about. We're going to stop there, uh, especially the uh, the equality and, and fairness thing. So uh, David has written numerous books, uh, apart from Intelligent Accountability, which we've been uh, we've been delving to into really when we've been talking here. Uh, he's also written, uh, amongst others, what every teacher know, needs to know about psychology. What if everything you knew about education was wrong and making kids cleverer hard to say that one yeah it is hard to say his philosophy which i had to squeeze out of him is ability is the consequence not the cause of what we learn uh, you can contact him on info at learningspy.co.uk uh, or visit his uh, learning spy blog and he is also on twitter and i'll spell out spell it out at david d-i-d-a-u uh right we're gonna finish with some uh quick fire questions david how old are you 51 uh what coaching book is by or teaching book or book is by your bedside are you because you're an english teacher as well so you're gonna give me some um, um, fantastic tone that we should also so, yeah so the, i actually have terry eagleton's how to read poetry all right Okay, and uh, what what is that? Has it taught you something else about how you read? Actually, poetry? it's a bit of a. It's I'm, I've almost got to the point where I've I've uh, discarded it. It's a little bit. Uh, it's a little bit heavy going. Right. So one of the things I've found from English teachers is that it's all right, all right not to finish reading a book. Yeah, Christ. Yeah, life's too short. <laughs> okay, uh, which coach or teacher are you loving at the moment? Loving. Yeah. There's a, so there's a really interesting guy who teaches science called Adam Boxer, who oh, yeah. uh, I really like the way he breaks things down. Yeah, he's he's great. I've uh, I certainly pick up a lot of his stuff. Uh, which team or sport or subject would you love to be coaching at the moment? I'm going to suggest it's not karate, but it might be. I do love karate. I, I, I find it <laughs> thrilling. Uh, but I definitely wouldn't want to put myself in a position of coaching it. That would be awful for everyone. I, I love what I'm doing. I work for Ormiston Academy's Trust four days a week as their English lead, and I love doing that. Okay. Uh, who's inspired you most? Oh, crumbs. Uh, probably my wife, Rosie. Yeah, uh, she's listening in. And uh, what, what would you <laughs> <Not>. tell? <laughs> what would you tell your twenty-year-old self to do more of? Uh, oh, what would I tell my twenty-year-old self to do more of? Get up earlier. All right. Okay. Get up early. What time do you get up at the moment then? Uh, probably about half six most days. Oh, okay. That's impressive. That's impressive. David, that's been brilliant. Very, very enjoyable. And thank you very much for uh, joining us. Thanks for having me. 